0: Our um, scripture today is Matthew eleven twenty five through 30.
1: Um, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father, no no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son,
0: and those to whom the Son chose to reveal him. Come to me, all
1: you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good, uh, good morning, church. Hey, you guys, uh, so it's uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, I feel like folks that show up uh, Labor Day weekend, like you guys are the faithful uh, remnant. Uh, Sort of thinking about who's here, I think that, um, I'm really glad that you're here. I think there's a few, (laughs) like you're here uh, because you just couldn't imagine like missing a Sunday at Christ City. Uh, and so in my mind, you, you guys are rock stars. Glad, uh, glad that you're here. Others of you, like maybe you're here because you, uh, you know, your three-day <laughs> three uh, weekend plans like fell through, and you're like, ah, all right, I'll go to church. So hey, what, uh, glad you're here too. Um, others of you, I, I suspect that you're here uh, because you just needed to gather with your church after a week of challenge and sorrow and uh, disappointment and that you needed to be in a place where you're reminded that God is in control and that Christ brings resurrection and that you are a son and a daughter of God. So however it is that you ended up here, I'm glad that you're here. Or why ever you arrived here this morning, what I want you to know and what I want you to experience is the care and the love of Christ that is available to us so in whatever ways the news, national or personal, has been a weight and another sort of reminder that there is still an enemy at work in the world, in whatever ways that you or your family or those that you care about have found themselves in what seems like a valley with death shadows, I want you to know and experience this morning that there is a good shepherd whose name is Jesus Christ. And so we've sung this morning proclamations of the greatness of God and the satisfaction that he alone is able to provide. We've prayed and professed this morning, asking God to provide all that we need and have received from his word the reassurances that he is with us always. Lisa and I, uh, we're team preaching today. We will open the scriptures, hearing from the words of our Savior himself, and at the end of our time together, we're going to come to the communion table, remembering the body and blood of Christ and the truth that at that table, that all who follow Jesus are welcome there. So, however it is that you've arrived here, you're here because God wants you to know that He loves you and He is extending life to you. And so and so, whatever your other plans were for the weekend that fell through, I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I'm really honored to be with you this morning. So. Um, Tomorrow is Labor Day. Uh, This is like, I guess this is the last weekend you get to wear white shoes. I'm not sure exactly what all the rules are related to Labor Day. Um, It's the last weekend of the summer season and it helps us sort of close out one season and move into the fall. Uh, Just by way of just public service announcement, maybe this was just for my own uh, edification, I uh, did some digging as to the history of Labor Day and what its purpose was. Apparently it uh, began as a celebration of the labor movement in the late 1800s. Uh, It was a day that was set aside the first Monday in September to honor the American worker. Oregon, anybody here from Oregon? Like, There you go, (laughs) Kai, represent. Oregon was actually the first state to celebrate Labor Day. Thank you for paving the way. Um, And then other, uh, they celebrated in 1887, other states quickly followed, and then seven years later, 1894, it became a federal holiday. And there's a lot of articles that sort of swirl around this time of year, or around Labor Day, about uh, 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 Americans' work habits and um, the American worker. Earlier this year, Time Magazine came out with an article about the productivity of Americans, uh, about the American workers and the number of hours that Americans work. Uh, turns out Americans are the top five in the world in productivity, so Great. Um, We are also in the top five in the world of number of hours worked. Um, uh, And according to some studies, uh, we work more than anyone in the industrialized world. So more than the French or the English, and apparently recently more than the Japanese. Um, American workers, we take less vacation, we work longer hours, and we're retiring later as well. Um, and while that doesn't always, while more hours work doesn't always mean more productivity, apparently Luxembourg is the most productive country in the world, and they only work 29 hours, which is a stat I completely do not understand. Um, th- there's something uh, good, but there's also something sinister about the American work ethic, I feel. Um, uh, while work is actually something that God establishes as good, for there was work in the garden... In the Garden of Eden, God commands Adam and Eve to name the animals and creation. I guess that's sort of like, a, like this ancient form of data entry. Hey, we've got these things. Can you like, classify them for me? <laughs> um, and, he, and he purposed the first people to tend the garden. However, in the beginning, work wasn't the chore and the frustration that it is now on this side of the fall. Yet there uh, remains ways that our work points to the creative nature of God and uh, the creative work uh, of the Creator. It also points to the redemptive work that God is doing through humanity, and there's a connection between our work and God's ongoing work in the world, even if it's hard at times for us to see that connection. And yet, for so many of us, work can become idols in our lives. Something um, that is intended to be good and God-honoring can also be withering and soul-crushing. Or it can be identity-forming and worth-giving in distorted ways that God didn't intend. Because in God's kingdom, work is meant to be God-honoring and dignity-giving. And our worth is to be located in our relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again. Our worth is to be located in our relationship to Jesus, not in our productivity or in our esteemed careers. Tomorrow, we have a federal holiday honoring work and workers. But what most of us will spend the day doing is something other than work. We're going to spend the day resting, hopefully. And so this morning, what Lisa and I, what we want to team preach on, it isn't work, but actually rest. Because rest, like work, was crafted by God and is actually an antidote to the work idol-making that is such a temptation for us. In Matthew 11, Jesus, the passage that Paul read, Jesus gives an invitation. It's an invitation to actually rest. To understand the drama of Jesus' statements in chapter 11, it's good to sort of look forward a bit into Matthew chapter 12. And Matthew 12, twice, Jesus is challenged by the religious leaders of the day about whether or not Jesus is resting, whether or not he's Sabbath-keeping. The Jewish holy day that was originally set aside for rest and reflection. However, the religious leaders they have twisted, uh, uh, they have twisted the Sabbath and rest into a collection of rules to follow, and made what was meant to be a day of rest and renewal and made it about man's ability to follow rules, rather than about God's generosity. And because of this perversion of the Sabbath, Jesus accuses them of condemning those who are innocent in the eyes of God. And so, on the one hand, you have those who are standing in resistance to Jesus saying, essentially, after you work hard as unto the Lord, you ought to come to the end of your week, and what you will find there is more work, more rules, and more self-centered sacrifice. And you contrast that with what Jesus says just prior to that, where he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even in Jesus' words, there's recognition that work is a a part of life and a part of what it means to follow Jesus, but there's also a cadence to what he's saying, a, a rhythm to his invitation. Come to me, find rest. Work with me, you'll find rest. Take my yoke, my burdens are light. There's a, there's a back and forth, there's, there's, a, there's a beat to it, there's a melody to it that anchors on Christ. And I fear that our work productivity grind that our work lives have become, or they're actually missing this beat and this rhythm to the detriment of our souls. Jude Tearsma Watson, she's no relation to me, by the way, just gonna quote her. Is a seminary professor. Well, maybe we're related. I don't know. Uh, never met her. Um, author, and she's an urban minister in Southern California. In an article that she writes a few years back, she notes that humanity and the planet really was uh, created for rhythms that were created to, to to follow a beat, a pulse, a cadence, and that rhythm also includes rest. God created the world in six days and then God rested, the ocean tides rise and fall, the leaves fall in autumn and then are reborn in spring. But she would go on to write, modern life gives few reminders of the life rhythms we were meant to keep. We used to go to sleep and get up with the sun. Lives used to follow the agricultural seasons, seasons of planting and harvesting and seasons when the ground would lay lay fallow and empty so the soil itself could rest. And now we live in a 24-7 world, constantly at work and continuously plugged in, and still we're expected to be just as fruitful year in and year out. It's as though that we have a form of arrhythmia. Arrhythmia is most associated with an abnormal heartbeat. It's when your heart doesn't receive the proper electrical signals and it beats either too fast or too slow, and it's out of rhythm. Arrhythmia can cause pain in the chest, it can cause confusion, it can cause dizziness and fainting, and in some causes it can lead to death. I think that for some of us that our lives have an arrhythmia about them. And the results can be the same, frankly. I think when our lives are lived under the constant arrhythmic patterns that we weren't designed for, I think it makes our hearts and our chests hurt. I think it clouds our minds, and in the worst case, it can lead to a slow death. Our lives were meant to have rhythm, and that's what Jesus is offering us, a life with him that carries the cadence of grace in it. Um, uh, some of you have been to my house. I have an old house, um, and we have uh, window units uh, for our AC. I love window units. Every house Lisa and I've ever lived in, it's got some window units. I I, I know that central heat and AC is a thing, and it's really good. But man, I don't know. There's just something for me. I love, especially like when I go to sleep in the summer. I just love the purr of a window unit and get like I want it to be like 40 (laughs) degrees. It's 100 outside, but I want it 40 degrees. I want to be freezing. I just want to be sort of. Dr- you know, like nurtured to sleep. Anybody know you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Get yourself central AC Watson. Um, the thing about our window units, especially for those in our small group, the one in our living room is loud. Like we're, like people are just sh- pouring out their hearts and we're like, what? <laughs> I, I, I kind of, the thing, the, it's like blowing us. Um. It's, it's just, it's noisy, and this, the thing is, the same hum that rocks you to sleep, it can also annoy you, especially when you're trying to talk to somebody, because it's just this loud whir, constantly. There's actually another sound in our house that, uh, if, if ever you've come over, you, you hear um, uh, it's Latin music, mostly Afro-Cuban music. Lisa's family is originally from Cuba, and um, often whenever we're doing chores, or like when the kids come home or we're, we got a task, we'll just sort of put on um, cu- the Cuban station on Pandora, and we'll just, I mean, we can't help but like dance immediately. Annalise will run up to me, and she's like, Dad, dance with me. You just, you know, the horns and the drums and the cadence of the singers, I mean, it's just its just kind of intoxicating. It helps us get our chores done faster. Um, because I think that there's something in all of us that longs for a rhythm, that, that longs for a, for a beat. The thing that I worry is that so many of us are living like the rhythm, rhythmless hum of the air conditioner rather than the soulful sounds of Juan de Marcos Gonzalez. Because I think we're built for that. The thing is that Jesus doesn't want uh, to invite us into a life that is better sorted with just healthier rhythms. It's not just that. It's not just about some best practices of work-life balance either that's offered in Matthew 11. The invitation that Christ has for us and for our lives is far more than that. Matthew 11 doesn't simply have Jesus saying, Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you balance. Or come to me, and I'll give you a rhythm. Or come to me, and I'll give you less work. No, he says, Come to me, and I'll give you rest. There is a yoke, but mine is light. Learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. In Christ we find rest. And not rest like a nap. Although, but I love naps. <laughs> it's a different kind of rest because I think that we all know that we could sleep 10 hours and wake up tired. That we can come back from a vacation exhausted. What Jesus His offering is a rest, a space and a way of living that affords us an opportunity to refocus on God and to renew our lives. And that's part and parcel to the abundant life that Jesus is offering each and every day and every moment of every day. Because it's not just about rhythm, but it's also about a rest and in that rest a rhythm too. One of my favorite seminary professors was Dr. Don Simmons. Don and I would later work together in a community development organization in Central California. He's one of my oldest friends now. When Don and I were working together in Fresno, he bought an old abandoned house. The house was nearly 100 years old, and it was was raggly. I mean, it was falling down and everything. I remember walking through the house with him, and we were, like, making sure not to fall through the holes and the floorboards and just seeing sort of just the dilapidation of it. And the house was in uh, downtown Fresno. It was in a beautiful but economically hard-hit neighborhood, and the house just captured his heart. And he bought the house, and he spent nearly a year restoring it, and since then he's won like, historic preservation awards uh, in the state and other things. And his, um, Where his house is located, right behind him, is a battered women's shelter on one side. There's an immigration attorney whose office is on the other. A community center for disadvantaged youth Disadvantaged youth is on the other side. And in many ways, Don's house is surrounded by chaos, and yet this restored property is a sign of hope to his neighbors, many of whom often stop and spend a lot of time on his porch. Or some of his neighbors that will linger on the sidewalk outside when Don is inside playing the piano with the windows open and the sounds will just waft into the downtown air. Don's a musician. So, he named the house Villa Fermata. I asked him about the name and he told me that Fermata, it's actually, it's a it's musical notation. When uh, written, it's uh, uh, called the Cyclops Eye, uh, but it's also called the Bird's Eye, which I find more affectionate than Cyclops. When it's written into the music, it means to pause or to rest for an unspecified amount of time. When J.S. Bach would place it in his concertos or chorales, it would mean take a breath and just stay there for as long as you want. As we give consideration to Jesus' invitation to come to him, it isn't just an invitation to live into a healthier rhythm, but also to recognize that with that rhythm comes times to rest with him, to allow his life in us, to refresh us. And in a world like ours, and in a pace like ours, my sense is that Jesus wants to offer us a few more fermatas, a few more rests of unspecified length so that you might know the rest that truly comes from the Lord. The one who truly renews.
1: So how do we do that? How do we take that time of rest? What is the guidance of the scripture for us? Um, in addition to the invitation of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, what I want to spend my portion talking about this morning is Sabbath. Um, I think it's, it's one of those mechanisms that God gives us for resting and for the light living that Jesus talks about. It is that rhythm of rest amidst the rest of uh, the, the other music that fills our lives. And the truth is that we're created as human beings, not human doings. I think we get that mixed up sometimes, don't we? Um, a couple years back, um, I read this book called Soul Keeping. And in the very beginning of the book, like I couldn't even really get past the, the introduction without just just being arrested <laughs> um, with something that a story that the author was telling. And he's a pastor, friends with Dallas Willard, and he was kind of being mentored by Dallas Willard. And so he's like, all right, I just need to know what is the one thing that I can do the one thing I need to know that will help me most to be the best pastor I can be. And Dallas Willard responds, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Man, I was like, came to like this grinding halt like "Ah, I don't know how to do that. How do I ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life? I'm always in a hurry. I have three kids. I'm a pastor and a pastor's wife, and I have a job in addition to that. (laughs) So I've been wrestling with it for a while, and I'm glad that God hasn't let me go. Pete Scazzaro says it this way, you can't live at warp speed without warping your soul. I think he's right. So Sabbath, um, well, what is it? Some of you may be new to that idea. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's traditionally, historically, in the Jewish tradition, is a 24-hour period of rest from the toil and work of the other days of the week. Um, all work, good, is good. Paid and unpaid is good. Um, but that work has to be held within the boundaries of the Sabbath. It's the rest that creates meaning and beauty and energy for the other parts of our lives. And so it is a break from work, but it's more than that. Author Wayne Mueller says it like this, Sabbath is more than the absence of work. It's not just a day off when we catch up on television or errands. It's the presence of something that arises when we consecrate a period of time to listen to what is more deeply beautiful nourishing, or true. It is time consecrated with our attention, our mindfulness, honoring those quiet forces of grace or spirit that sustain and heal us. For Jews, the Sabbath is the culmination of the week. It's the day that gives purpose to all of the rest of the days. And admittedly, as I've thought about Sabbath and have practiced, sort of, (laughs) Sabbath, um, I've often and honestly Prided myself perhaps a little on the fact that I don't check email on Sunday or oh, most of the time over the weekend. I don't get on my work email. Um, so I'm like, oh, I'm doing really good. I'm practicing the Sabbath. And then I <laughs> prepare for this sermon. <laughs> um, It's a pretty far cry, isn't it, from having the perspective that it's the day that gives purpose to all the rest of our days. Rabbi Abraham Heschel says the Sabbath as a day of rest, as a a day of abstaining from toil, is not for the purpose of recovering from one's lost strength and and becoming fit for the forthcoming labor. The Sabbath is a day for the sake of life a day for the sake of life. So it, it began in the garden, right? In creation, God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He, you know, he took Sabbath. Um, it was continued and formalized in Exodus when he said in the Ten Commandments, um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So he's saying, this is something I want you all to practice. Um, And he continues with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus, as Matthew mentioned, talks about Sabbath. In fact, he's really challenged by the religious rulers about what it means to practice the Sabbath. So, that is a little bit about what Sabbath is. Um, and now that we know that, I want to walk us through a few of the benefits of Sabbath or, like, what are the effects of actually observing the Sabbath on our lives? Um, there are obviously spiritual benefits, there are emotional benefits, there are physical benefits. All you have to do is do a Google search um, on your Googler and you'll come up with a myriad of articles on on how good resting and Sabbath practice can be for you. But I want to focus on three benefits that transcend those categories. And the first is joy. Joy. Um, Isaiah 58 says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day is honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. So um, God, I think, has been stirring this message in me for a while. He's been beckoning me to explore the topic of hurry with him, to consider the rhythms and the practices and the pursuits of my heart. And honestly, I've been relatively resistant, I'm kind of dragging my feet. It's kind of like this, maybe you should think about hurry in your life, kind of cueing back to that, that Dallas Willard quote from a couple years ago. Um, but I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm gonna think about that, like when I'm not in a hurry, because I'm kind of in a hurry right now. Um, so recently, um, during one of my times of prayer in the past couple of weeks, um, I was prompted to uh, to pray for joy. Um, and it was like that day or the next day we had to decide what are we gonna preach about, because um, we're not like we're in between series here. Uh, so then I had to decide what we're going to preach about, and I suggested, well, maybe we should preach about resting, because, you know, that's what you do on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> um, but actually, I was like, this is something that the Lord wants me to to explore with him. And obviously, preaching a sermon is a great way to really dig in a little bit. Um, so we decided that was what we were going to do. Uh, and that night I shared with our small group um, in a little like we had small group but then we were kind of coupled up or grouped up in smaller groups to pray and I just decided you know what I'm going to pray this is what I'm praying for I'm praying for joy Um, and I'm praying for specifically deep and abiding and contagious joy and I shared that with my little small group Uh, and then the next week which was this past week, I think, Matthew asked us, um, what are you praying for in, this is our opening like thing together, what are you praying for in this next season of your spiritual life? Now, good, draw it, which I, everybody like, it's like, oh no, like I don't know how to draw, um, which is true of me. Uh, so I wanted to bring this to you today because um, because here's what I didn't know. <laughs> oh, man. What I didn't know was that God might be inviting me to faithfully practice Sabbath and resting as a way to cultivate that joy. So here's my drawing. See that? It's very elementary. And for those in the back, this uh, over here. Sorry, people on the podcast, just just microphone scruffling. Um, It's water, and it's an arrow going down. That is the best I could do for deep. Yep. Yep. Uh, the other one is a, um, a vine, a grapevine. And it reminds me of like that verse that says, uh, you are the vine and I am the branches. Abide in me. Right? And so that's abiding. And this one here in the bottom corner is one big smiley face with three little smiley faces. So maybe the big smiley face is making the other people smiley. Um, And that's contagious. I thought that might be better than like trying to draw a sneeze. Right? And then the last part is joy. Deep, abiding, contagious joy. And again, what I didn't anticipate was that God would weave all of these things together in me to say, you know what the secret might be? Practicing a Sabbath. So that you can have that joy that I so long to give to you. Because the truth of it is that, man, like my life gets so full of worry and anxiety and rush and hurry. The pursuit of success and wealth and acquisition and status and reputation and ever-increasing production and the bigger, faster, louder that we all have to continue to keep at bay because it's just a part of our culture. And it is specifically a part of DC culture. can rob us of our joy. Because of our desire to succeed, to meet an ever-expanding and unending expectations, we do not rest. Because we do not rest, we get swept away in the current of consumption and production. Being pulled by the tides, we miss the compass points that would show us where to go. And we miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. And that's the second benefit, I think, that comes with Sabbath practice, is wisdom. Mueller says, Sabbath is an incubator for wisdom. When we allow the rush and pressure of our days to fall away, even for a short period of time, we are more able to discern the essential truth of what lies before us. The psalmist, in Psalm 90, verse 12, says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering our days, living into the rhythm of Sabbath rest for a day and purposeful work on the others allows us to gain a heart of wisdom. Taking time to rest and reflect provides the perspective for how we need to live our lives, spend our time, use our resources, steward our talents, we're more able to focus on and pay attention to how we do what we do rather than just getting things done. And to say it differently, we create enough margin in our lives so that we can wisely evaluate the quality of our priorities rather than being driven by the quantity of our production. So practicing Sabbath gives us wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, I wish I could sort of take a pulse in the room, (laughs) kind of know what you're thinking, how you're feeling. Are you nervous that Sabbath practice might kind of really mess up your schedule? Um, Are you concerned that it's just one more thing that you feel like you have to do to be a good Christian? Remember Jesus' words. Come, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do you hear the love behind all of that? Can you kind of feel like that's a beautiful invitation to love that God is beckoning us towards? Sabbath is not a task to be accomplished. It's it's also not a schedule imposition to be managed. Rather, it is an essential delivery mechanism for God's love. It's how we receive love from God. When we cultivate rest and reflection, we we create space for God to speak to us and for us to listen, and we inevitably encounter the irresistible love of our creator whose perspective of us is always one of love. And so that's the last benefit that that I want to mention. And you see, First Corinthians reminds us, you know, that the the chapter of love, right? Um, if I speak of tongues and of, I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am nothing. I'm a resounding gong. I'm a clanging symbol. I'm nothing. If I give all I have to the poor, and yet I do not have love, I am nothing. The Sabbath is a mechanism of of God's delivery It's the, the delivery mechanism of God's love for us. And love is that important. If we don't have love, we can do all the good things. We can, we can accomplish everything. And if we don't have love, the scripture says, there's it's, it's nothing. Love is that important, and Sabbath is that important. So I, I woke up. A bit nervous this morning, um, and I shared with Matthew. He's, I was like, I'm nervous, and he's like, Why? <laughs> like, I just, I just don't know that I am gonna be able to do this. Not the preaching part, the everything else, and practicing this part. Um. So I'm a little nervous. And here's why. Creating practices is hard, new practice, new habits. Doing those things is hard. So there's fear of failure (laughs) for me. Um, But beyond that, there are other common barriers to Sabbath keeping that I just kind of want to lay out there um, so that they can be named and we can be aware of them. And all of this I get from a book, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, um, Pete Scazzaro. Um, and so he suggests that we uh, we we don't engage Sabbath um, because we're afraid of what we might find inside. When we stop and we rest and we listen and we just like just give us give ourselves some space, we we might be afraid of what we find inside. Staying busy keeps some of our uh, our negative internal voices quiet. Always being on the go, always having to think about what to do next doesn't allow some of the really important stuff in our lives to surface. Um, so resting. In resting, we can't outrun our feelings of inadequacy and shame and guilt or worthlessness. Those things that might still be there and, and that Jesus wants to interact with. Um, we might be afraid of that. We also might be addicted to work. Um, or even addicted to the adrenaline that is required just to perform our jobs. It's actually possible that we are, like, we need to produce, our bodies need to produce so much adrenaline to perform our jobs that as we take time to rest, we will have a physical withdrawal. And it could be, it could be really hard. Might be physical, it might be spiritual, it might be emotional, but I think um, we have to be aware that maybe we don't do it because we're 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 afraid of quiet. Um, another one is we may be afraid of becoming legalistic, right? Like Sabbath is. C- it, in the scriptures, it was really rigid. And you, in Matthew chapter 12, that, that Matthew referenced, it's like, well, if you practice the Sabbath, you might just like just become so rigid that it's not a spiritual practice. It's just a daily ritual um, and, and might become absent of God. And we don't want to become legalistic. The other thing is it... it it might surface like a distorted identity. And I think this is kind of um, related to what we've already, sa- what we've already said. Um, part of who we are is what we do, but it's not the deepest truth of who we are. And when we believe that the most important thing about us is what we do, we reduce ourselves to human doings, not human beings. When our identity is distorted in this way, ceasing work becomes very daunting and very difficult. If you've ever lost your job, or if you've ever decided to quit and you've kind of had a lot of time on your hands, (laughs) you know that this is hard. This is really, really hard. Because so much of our value, maybe I should just speak for myself, so much of my value and worth is tied up in what I do. And that is not who I am. It's a part of who I am, and it is valuable. But the truth of who I am is who God has created me to be, not what God has created me to do. So we know what Sabbath is, and we know why we uh, should do it. There are benefits. um, There are barriers. So this is the how. (laughs) How do we practice Sabbath? Earlier this week, I I was walking home from the metro, and I just decided to, like, there's a stop sign on my walk home. There's probably more than one, but I I noticed one. And I was like, okay, it literally is a sign that says stop. So I thought, I'm just going to stand here and watch how well people do in our society with (laughs) stopping at signs that say stop. Now, I'm not pointing any fingers, and I might be guilty of it myself, but can I just say, not that many. I mean, slow down, make sure there aren't other cars coming. The one person that came to a full and complete stop, I was like, yay, you did it! And then I turned around and looked, and was like, of course. There were other cars at the intersection. You can't just keep rolling. But I thought it was informative. It's a sign that says stop. This is what the Lord is saying to us, is inviting us towards. It's like Sabbath is like the stop sign, right? And yet, and yet we're just like really pulled into just kind of like, hey, am I not gonna get like totally smashed going through? Okay, I'm gonna go. So practices for Sabbath keeping, the first is stop. Um, Resist doing any work, paid or unpaid, for 24 hours. Good luck with that, Lisa, okay, and for the rest of us. Um, actually, it's more than luck, obviously. Um, this is where we really need Jesus, because I think this is, this is the first hard practice, um, 24 hours. Traditionally, Sabbath is like sunset to sunset. Um, but it doesn't matter however you want to practice it, whenever you want to practice it, that is... The idea is to stop. Um. Now, in order to do that, in order to, like, not work, paid or unpaid, ideally for a full 24 hours, you have to prepare. Th- there is no way we can do that without some preparation. And so you kind of have to, like, think Backwards a little bit, like okay, if I if I'm going to take this day off, what do I need to do for the rest of the week and in the rest of my days so that I can take that time off? And you got to fill all the rest of the days and make all of those other days really purposeful. Um, So, stop. That's the first one. Um, Rest beyond ceasing. To work, observing Sabbath includes an invitation to rest. Um, Do things that are life-giving. Be outside, go for a hike, go for a walk, sit by the river, Uh, read, cook if you like cooking, not me, but if you like that, you should do it. Nap. I think we sometimes just need a nap. Um, Have brunch with your friends, enjoy things. The idea of rest is is like play, and enjoy, and rest. Um, Also, avoid things that are draining, or are typically things you do for distraction, rather than rest. And I I don't know if this is you, but like in a stressful moment during my day, if I have time, I might pick up my phone and just scroll something, or play something like a Sudoku that's mindless, and I can just solve and get done. That's a distraction. That's not rest. And so as we rest, I would invite you to rest and not do the things that typically are your form of distraction. The next one is delight. So here are some questions to consider as you begin to practice. What do I currently do that nurtures me and fills me with delight? Or what am I not doing yet that I want to try because I think it will bring delight? Think through people and places and activities as you answer these questions. What do I currently do that nurtures delight? Or what am I not doing yet that I want to try because I think it would bring delight? And, and maybe on your first practice of Sabbath, you just answer these questions um, or make a list and then engage in them over the course of the coming weeks and months during your sabbath practice and the last practice is is um contemplate Uh, and matthew mentioned this earlier he said you know sometimes you get back from a vacation and you're exhausted right the idea of vacation is to rest, is to have fun, is to like relax. And yet we sometimes can take a vacation and not be rested when we return. And the invitation of Sabbath is for us to connect with God and to rest with him. Pondering the love of God is the central focus of the Sabbath. And now that doesn't mean you have to like pray for the whole entire waking hours of your day or read your Bible all day long. But it does mean that we focus on the aspects of God's love that we experience in the intangible and in the tangible things of life. We aim to see the invisible in the visible. Once we take time to rest, we might find that God is speaking A lot. (laughs) The things that I can't hear, let alone attend to, that come up during the week may find their landing place in my soul as I spend my time of Sabbath. So contemplation is really the whole point. Spending time pondering the love of God. Engaging in love towards God and receiving love from him. Now, whew, that's a lot. Is that a lot, y'all? Yeah. Okay. good. Okay. That makes me feel better because I was like, boy, this is kind of a hard sermon to preach. This is a lot. Um, So I recognize this may seem a little intense. And here's the temptation couple. Do nothing because you feel like there's no possible way I could do that. That's a temptation. Just do nothing. I know I'm gonna fail. It's not it's not possible. Don't you know I work 80 hours a week? Don't you know I have a family? Don't you know I'm trying to get into this, 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 this. Okay, I, I understand. It's a temptation. Do nothing is a temptation. Because it's overwhelming and you can't do everything perfectly. The other temptation is to do everything and set yourself up for failure because we're not ready, right? Like this is something that God will cultivate in us. And so we take it one step at a time. And remember that these are practices. They are not rules. Right? So we will practice these things. The goal is being faithful in practicing them, and soon we may find that we truly can't live without them. And you may need to adjust your practice along the way. That is fine. You will probably need your community along the way. That is good. Remember that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And when we practice Sabbath, we will find rest for our souls. I have a, an image. Um, at, this is a skyline image of Fresno. and uh, Matthew and I used to live there and we've got some serious pollution had we the they have some serious pollution issues in fresno and i think that that this can be what life is like for us sometimes right the pollution of of everything clouds what is true and beautiful and is really there okay the next image that you're going to see is what's what's actually behind all of that pollution. I think this is an image of what God wants to give us. Real beauty. He's there. It's majestic. It's striking and stunning. There's fruit on those trees. It's vibrant. And there's life. And that is the invitation that we're being offered this morning as we practice rest And as we practice Sabbath, we can have this, this kind of beauty. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Um, I found this prayer as I was researching, and I don't know who wrote it. um, But I want to pray it for us as we bring our time to a close. God, whose labor led to light and growth, darkness and nurturing, creatures of sea and all the living things on the earth. God, whose labor led to all life and all beauty. God, whose labor culminated in Sabbath rest, laying down the beautiful and hard work of that week. Help us also to lay down the labor of our weeks in Sabbath rest. Help us to meet in silence and song, hearing your word, speaking anew to our needful spirits. Help us to release our many cares into your and one another's keeping. Help us to find renewal from our burdens, the sorrows and fears that weigh on us, the tragedies marring the world's beauty. Guide us to Sabbath rest, O God. And once we have experienced its settling, once we have been refreshed in its healing, lead us into work once again. The work of healing others and co-creating the shalom of your kingdom. Amen.